0: Although we record and release the Politics Guys on Sunday, most of our audience listens during the week, which means that by the time you hear this, the results of the Iowa caucuses will probably be in. With that in mind, we'll go easy on our analysis of last week's frantic dash to the finish line, which is actually the official starting line of the 2016 race. Instead, we're going to focus on what we think will happen in Iowa and what it means going forward. And if nothing else, it'll give you an idea of what sort of election forecasters we are. So to start off, Jay, what do you think is going to happen in Iowa, and why? Starting with your people, the Republican side of things.
1: My my people. Your people. My people. They are your people. Yes. It's like the Ross Perot thing of the you people. It's. uh, It's the us versus uh,
0: them thing, you know that that people orient themselves to, uh, you know. So yeah, absolutely. Okay, we'll say sort of your people at least.
1: Yes, Republican caucus goers. Let's call them that. Um, I uh, this is going to sound crazy, perhaps, and I I may well be wrong. Uh, I predict a Ted Cruz victory in Iowa. Really? Wow. Uh, I okay. think uh, Trump Trump will place high. He'll he'll do well, but I think uh, Cruz will carry the day. Uh, I think um, those will be the the really the, the top two because so many of the others have have not really concentrated there. Um, uh, I think you know there will be sort of a a next tier below that, which will be sort of a Rubio Bush um, uh, dominated uh, uh, group. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know Kasich hasn't done much there. I don't think Christie is, has done much there. They're sort of written off.
0: They're Iowa. both around two percent. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I, I think it's it's going to be a uh, it's going to be close. But I, I think uh, Ted Cruz will uh, defeat Donald Trump in Iowa.
0: Wow. Okay.
1: So I'm, I'm And that's that's a little bit – that's kind of bold for me. But you know what? I have been on a roll lately on a lot of things, and particularly in our, our comparative predictions. Um, okay. Uh, I think I, I tend to – but so go ahead.
0: Well, I, I – uh... I will stick with the conventional pollster wisdom, actually. Donald Trump has been trending up in the polls and Ted Cruz trending a little bit down in Iowa. And uh, I I do think that uh, Donald Trump's uh, supporters are going to be a little less likely to caucus than Ted Cruz is, which I think will make it a little closer than maybe some of the some of the polls have it out to be. But I do think Donald Trump will win by, oh, I'm going to say just to pull a number out of my hat, I'm going to say by around three percent or so, which is a little bit less than that's the polls margin of already.
1: errorish. ish. Yeah. yeah. So okay.
0: yeah, I think, uh, I think a, a narrow victory for Trump and then the Cruz and Rubio as pretty much all the polls are, are predicting there. So I, I'm not going to be, I wouldn't be stunned if Cruz won, but I would be, I would be a bit surprised I think so. Okay. So that, that's my prediction. Now as for the, how much it matters, the one thing I wanted to point out is that Looking back, historically, winning Iowa doesn't really mean that much in terms of getting the Republican nomination. Um, I look back at all the Iowa Republican caucuses. Now, the first one was back in 1976. So there have been 10 of them before this one. Now, okay, so of those 10, three were unopposed, and they were unopposed, as you would expect, because of president's running incumbent president exactly so reagan in 84 h.w. bush the good bush in 92 and w in 2004 so we we eliminate those and we have seven actual contested iowa caucuses on the republican side now of those seven only three of the winners have gone on to win the republican nomination uh that was ford in 76 dole 20 years later and bush in 2000
1: so which again we're we're for the most part not really heavily contested primary elections.
0: Exactly. So who who were the, la- the la- I mean the last two winners of Iowa were big losers when it came to as, as Trump might put it uh, were, were big losers when it when it came to the actual nomination. And those were Rick Santorum, I believe. Rick Santorum. Yep. And uh, and Mike Huckabee was actually still running. Yeah. You know? know, an interesting point that Santorum and Huckabee were both in the audience for the Trump thing he did when he you know had his little tantrum and didn't uh, participate in the last. Republican debate and he called them up on the stage talk about an uncomfortable moment uh, you know so but yeah so my, my point is is it's it's really easy for people to over you know to, to overestimate the importance of Iowa on the Republican side. I'm sure it's it's better to win than it is to lose absolutely but it doesn't necessarily mean a whole heck of a lot going forward in in
1: some ways and all this this sounds counterintuitive in some ways I think it's almost better to lose sometimes. Uh, to lose Iowa um, for for these couple reasons that, again sound sound goofy and counterintuitive but I, I think there's something to it and that is managing expectations right um, it, politics is so strange in that it's it's there's so much momentum and expectations and, and so forth and um it it's a uh, it's really strange because it, you can do incredibly well and uh, and then uh, falter. And you're seen as what Trump would describe as a total loser, Absolutely. even though you're doing great. I mean, and, you know, parallel, um, the Cleveland Cavaliers recently fired their, their, uh, coach David Blatt. Uh, despite the fact that the Cavs are on the, the top of our conference have been playing outstanding. Uh, they're something like 18 and three at home. Um, and they're a fantastic team, but we had a couple disastrous games, uh, and and it was it was you know again it was the expectations
0: yeah absolutely
1: um and uh, and he was gone so I, I think that's sort of the thing of if someone comes in as oh I'm the the, the champion in, in winning Iowa and um, then falters that hurts yeah. him severely as opposed to the guy who's sort of the underdog who keeps uh, yeah getting better
0: I mean John if John Kasich gets five percent that's a big win for him well and and we should talk about John Kasich too because.
1: Uh, he, you know, I don't know if we're going to talk to New Hampshire too, but, uh, well,
0: I, I want to say about Kasich. I'm glad, you know, I'm glad we brought him up because John Kasich recently received what I consider to be the kiss of death. John Kasich <laughs> received the New York times, uh, the New York times endorsement for the Republican nomination. And geez, talk about an awful thing to do to a guy. I don't know yes, what the yes. times was thinking. They they really should have endorsed Chris Christie if they wanted to help out Kasich, you know, or or Jeb Bush or anyone. So a horrible strategic decision by the Times if they're hoping for a moderate candidate to actually come out. Because I can only imagine what I mean. I don't have to imagine what Kasich's opponents are going to do they're obviously if he gets any kind of momentum the first thing they're going to pull out is the new york times endorsed this guy do you really want him to be <laughs> your nominee what a, just a horrible thing to do
1: well so, and, and and i agree with you on the sort of strategic value of the new york times endorsement um uh, but what they said uh is something that i think was was really complimentary it was a, a good endorsement and if it if it had been made by someone other than the New York Times, yeah, uh, it would be absolutely wonderful. The problem isn't the endorsement; the problem is the the entity who's making it. Uh, something else, though, in Kasich, he has received, uh, I think, something like eight out of ten endorsements of all the uh, New Hampshire uh, papers.
0: Yeah, he's doing much uh, better in New Hampshire, and he. I and, mean, some and, people. Think, and well, I yeah. can give
1: yeah. you know every every once in a while, I'm a little I'm able to give a little bit of inside baseball insight. Uh, I can tell you that. Most every Republican in Columbus and involved in state government – I shouldn't say most everyone – they're they're in uh, New Hampshire this weekend. Mm -hmm. Uh, The call has gone out that it is is that serious, and uh, uh, there are a lot of people uh, who make uh, well into the six figures who are just wandering around knocking on doors uh, in New Hampshire uh, this weekend – Uh, In support of John Kasich. Yeah, and I think that's that says something. So yeah,
0: I think you know, and and most people have have written John Kasich off along with Bush and Christie and the other I would consider sort of non non insane Republican candidates, but there's actually there's actually a legitimate road to the nomination for Kasich. It's certainly a long shot, but uh, you can actually kind of play out a scenario that doesn't seem absolutely nutso that has John Kasich doing really well. Uh, another thing I want to... And, and as we said
1: before, if he becomes the nominee, I, I think he's, he's a great nominee. Oh, absolutely. It's just getting
0: there. Yeah. I think if he's a nominee, he's the winner, actually. I yeah. think he becomes the next president. So now, another thing I wanted to point out about this process is uh, it's really easy not just to overestimate Iowa, but to overestimate New Hampshire. Uh, uh, except for one state, South Carolina, all the states that have their uh, nomination contests before the middle of March are required to allocate all their delegates proportionally. So, you know, even if you finish in second place, you get a certain number of delegates. But after that, more of the contests are winner take all. And so. Right. Basically, if you look at how the process is set up, it's kind of front-loaded to help out the more extreme candidates. Now, I don't know that the R—I don't think that the RNC necessarily designed it that way, but it's
1: not a good yeah. plan. Yeah.
0: But yeah, I mean, <laughs> absolutely. But I think you know, again, that still the people who are saying, "Oh my God, Donald Trump's going to be the nominee. It's going to be a disaster for the party." You look at Predictwise, which is the, the market site that I've mentioned a number of times. They have him as being a fifty-one percent probability of being the nominee. I really I think that people are not really understanding the nature of the, the nomination process and can get kind of carried away with this talk of, well, if Trump wins Iowa and New Hampshire, he can run the table. I, I just think that's that's a misreading of the situation. Now, some people might say that I'm just being, uh, I'm, I'm trying to cover my eyes and pretend that sanity will prevail. And maybe there is some of that. Um, you know, David Brooks, who's probably one of my favorite Republicans, and most people would say he's kind of a rhino, a Republican in name only, essentially said, that he refuses to believe that the Republican Party will nominate a nut. And and I, I think I'm with David Brooks on this, as I often am. I think that sanity will prevail. I think the system's designed to allow sanity to prevail. And I think in the end, the Republicans can be, if not, well, I think the Republicans can be, you know, proud to a certain extent of their nominee and won't have to cringe and say, oh, my God, what did we do? Well, wow, thanks. That's, That's uh, my again, a ringing endorsement for... Well I think that was kinda of, that was kind of to. the that was kind of the Times endorsement of Kasich. We hate him the least <laughs> of all the people that we hate, you know? I mean I, so you know,
1: I, I would say I would go with something that were a little a little more substantive than saying it, it's about sanity. I think it's a lot about organization. Mm-hmm. And and I don't think organization yeah. and experience. Uh especially in Iowa where there's all kinds of weird, goofy rules. It's not just like a regular vote, it's like everybody's gotta show up at the right place at the right time and uh, be checked in and... and uh, Stand
0: up with your group and yeah, move it's, over it's, here it's, and all kinds it's, of stuff. It's yeah. all
1: very confusing and and people who have been veterans and much better at this and and have, have gotten it goofed up uh, and Trump is is just doing this uh, and I, I don't think, you know, the, the cliche is the ground game. I don't think he has the ground game in Iowa uh, and I think that's going to be a, a, a big deal. So I th- I th- again, Iowa... To my mind, has always been sort of a funny outlier, because of the weird rules, because of it being first, uh, and and because of also weird weird Iowa issues. I mean, ethanol and, and so forth. Yeah. Uh, that that play into this that uh, uh, make it not reflective of uh, what's going to happen in the rest of the country. Um, that said, Iowa and New Hampshire are sort of beauty contests for people who are in maybe that second tier to show. Look, we can we can be real candidates. So. Yeah. Absolutely. To me, the the, the second and third place finishers are almost more important.
0: Hmm. Okay. That
1: said, I just said that Trump would finish second. But, you know.
0: (laughs) Right. Well, let's move on to the Democrats. And since they're for – for better or worse, I guess my people, um, I'll start by giving my prediction for who I think will win her right, and why. And And I think it's going to be almost a dead heat. Uh, right now the polls have Hillary around 3% over Sanders. But I think while Hillary has the ground game, uh, the the people out there, the organization like you were just talking about, I think the, the Bernie people are a lot more enthusiastic. I think everyone feels that. So I think Hillary ekes out a win uh, and – Maybe you see that, maybe people see it as, in a sense, a win for Bernie, just like you were talking about, in the sense that, well, he Holding exceeds, own, yeah. yeah, holds his own, exceeds expectations, and so forth. So I think it's really close to Hillary Clinton by uh, like a percent or two. And, and now, in terms of, oh, well, what do you think? Sorry, before we move oh, on. I, to-
1: I would say I would say Hillary wins uh, definitely. I think the percentage is higher. I think it's more she wins by a, a five to seven wow. percent margin. Wow. Okay. Uh, and again, I'm I'm my reasoning for that is is on organization and ground game and having been there before and done it before um, and, and having uh, that, that that kind of skills and organization.
0: OK, well, then, you know, and going to the uh, going back, I'm just surprised by that I kind of t- taken aback by that by that number. But we'll see um, now when it comes to the Democrats in Iowa, the history is a little bit different. Uh, their Iowa caucuses actually started in 1972, so one election before the Republicans, because essentially there's some history here. The Democrats opened up their process before the Republicans did because Democrats are like that, I guess. They're just more open. Yeah, yeah exactly. So – but anyway, so they started theirs in 72, meaning that there have been 11 previous Democratic Iowa caucuses before this one. Now, of those 11, um, there, were, there were two that were un- that were effectively unopposed that's Clinton in ninety six and Obama in two thousand and twelve. so we have nine competitive contests right okay Of those nine, five of the Iowa winners have gone on to be the Democratic nominee, including the last three winners right so you know the democratic record is a little bit better, but still it's not it's not like oh, if you win Iowa. You're, you're practically guaranteed a nomination essentially, but still a little bit better. Uh, and I think that this year the Iowa winner will continue that trend. Will be four in a row, and that Hillary will narrowly win and will go on to be the uh, will go on to be the Democrat. It's going to say the Republican nominee, the Democratic nominee. So um, well, and I don't know. Um, but in terms of it's interesting to me what's been happening over the last week or so. Is Bernie Sanders has emerged as a real uh, contender real competition for for Hillary, a lot of the uh, what what Republicans would call the the mainstream media has come out and all of a sudden started to say, My God, do we really want to nominate Bernie Sanders? Uh, <laughs> you know, and I think <clears throat> in a way there are a couple ways to look at it uh, they're, they're looking at it largely through the lens of well, will this person be effective as president? Does this person have the temperament, the experience to govern?' And I think that's one way to look at it. The other way to look at it is Democrats are freaking out that they could nominate somebody that might lose to Cruz or Trump.
1: Well, I wouldn't say might lose. I'd say would, would lose. Mm, I, I think maybe. America I don't is, know. is not, is not going to elect a socialist
0: president. Well, you know, it, it'd be um, interesting. And uh, now Michael Bloomberg. Or at least one who has
1: who, who campaigned as a socialist and has campaigned as a socialist.
0: Well, I, I got to say is just for the pure excitement, uh, the most, fascinating race would be if if it were trump on the republican side and sanders on the democratic side and then michael bloomberg throws in because you can't have too many billionaires in a presidential you know right. race and so that would be really interesting and i wouldn't be surprised to see you know my god uh, uh president bloomberg that would be that would really be something else I, I, well i would
1: agree and, and I'll, I'll tell you if i had if if i had those three alternatives uh, god forbid yeah but uh I'd vote if, for bloomberg. If between those three alternatives no i would i would vote for uh, uh again it's it's tough to say this but bloomberg yeah and he was a democrat um, he was
0: a republican before he was a democrat
1: sort of yeah yeah, yeah. you know
0: officially at least He's, so. Yeah, nanny
1: state sort of uh but but my, my sense is again he is a he 's a grown up <laughs>
0: yeah. well what would be what would be what would be interesting about that race is that you 'd really have the first race ever where, even though the candidates have party labels that they 're really not part of the party on either side and it's it's right. certainly and, and
1: that's and that 's why look it 's not really going to happen that way
0: well um, you know and 've said, said this a couple times, but
1: I mean the establishment is the establishment for a reason um, because right. they always win so
0: and that, um, I think that's one of the big narratives that the media is pushing is the establishment has lost control of the process. And I think I agree with but, you for the most part in this and that it's way too early to say that and people are getting, you know, people are getting freaked out and that in the end and, we're going to find that the establishment does maintain control of the process.
1: And the media the media floats that sort of every campaign season. Uh-huh. Um Really, that that you know the establishment that it's a, particularly with Republicans that there's you know a civil yeah. war in the Republican ranks and so forth. Because it's exciting, um, just because it's it's a story they yeah. like and it's 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 something to talk about uh, as the primaries go on. I mean, you're, you're they're looking for uh, what is you know is there some broader meaning uh, between these couple of guys all want to be president? Yeah. Uh, you know, and, well, and and so that it naturally flows into those sort of discussions of of, is there's a a big ideological rift and uh, you know seismic changes and um, usually it's not
0: yeah yeah so I mean but talking about that kind of stuff is just you know boring and doesn't sell a whole lot of I was going to say doesn't sell a whole lot of newspapers geez I sound 20th century don't I doesn't generate a lot of clicks and viewers I guess I should say yeah you know so something that is that is discussed at length in my book navigating the news available at Amazon and fine booksellers everywhere. Wanted to throw in that plug, anyway. Um, yep. so, so yeah, I think uh, we we're both in agreement on this. Essentially, I think we both agree in the end what's going to happen. You know, I think we both see Hillary Clinton being the Democratic nominee, and and I don't know. In the end, well, absent uh, absent
1: some some bombshell from from the FBI and justice department which right uh, again i i think there's going to be more to that than than uh what you think there is going to be sure. uh, and i and i think you know again i think it's too soon for us to talk about it on the show at this point let's let's wait for all the evidence to come in but yes um yeah, I think there's there's going to be something there.
0: Yes, the the as some as some on the right, some websites I've seen the the pending Hillary Clinton indictment for you know national security breaches and well, so on. Well, and forth. again, and
1: yeah. I, I I have said I'm I'm dubious whether there's going to be an indictment. Uh, but there's going to be a lot of questions about Certain You know, again, if if she's not indicted, uh, sort of staggeringly poor judgment.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't think there's a whole lot of question yeah. about that. Absolutely. We, we agree with that uh, on that as well.
1: Well, I think it, I think it's before just poor judgment. Now, I would say staggeringly. staggeringly OK, judgment,
0: OK. Yes. Yeah, from bad to worse. All yeah. right. Well, we, we will see how we will see how, uh, how good our predictions are, certainly. And I hope I hope we don't, don't have egg on our faces, certainly. But we'll find out very shortly. Uh, let's move on to a non-election story. That should be nice. Uh, some big news, actually, in the area of juvenile justice this week. On Monday, mm-hmm. the Supreme Court in the 6-3 decision ruled that its 2012 decision that banned mandatory life without parole for minors must be applied retroactively, which could matter a whole lot for the several thousand inmates that are currently serving life sentences for crimes they committed in, as juveniles. And also on Monday... President Obama issued an executive order that prohibited federal prisons from using solitary confinement for juveniles, as well as for inmates serving time for low-level crimes. And he said that this practice could lead to what he called devastating, lasting psychological consequences. This change could affect up to 10,000 inmates. So so what do you think about this? I I would imagine Donald Trump would say we're getting soft on crime or on criminals. But uh, what's your thought on this, Jay?
1: Well, you know, I, it, this is going to be one of these where, uh, I, I agree with the result. I disagree with how they got there. Okay. Um, you're talking about you the know, court like, here. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, like, you know, uh, uh, say for example, the gay marriage thing, I, I think there's, there's, there's always been a really good case that, uh, yeah, we ought to have marriage equality and so forth. But the the question is, should that decision be made at the Supreme Court or should it be made in state legislatures or Congress? Um, and here's a situation where I think our, our justice system is pretty goofed up in, in a lot of ways. Uh, I think it, it is um, uh, probably cool unusual for, for juveniles to uh, be put in uh, with a, a – well, I, sh- I should back that up because that, that sort of goofs up the rest of what I was going to say. Okay. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the, the trouble that I have is um, that a – the the Supreme Court is again is sort of stepping in uh, where state legislatures uh, should uh, should make these changes. <clears throat> so uh, that's that's my problem with with the the um, decision. It's not so much on the substance; it's on the way it, that uh, they get there. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you know, otherwise we get to a situation where we do turn over so much of. Uh, uh, justice right. policy, not to, to, uh, yeah, to the voters and, and elected officials, but to the
0: Supreme Court. And, and I see your point, and I would, and my, I guess my reaction to that is certainly that there are instances where I would absolutely agree, but there are instances where I, like this one, where I feel where there are sort of fundamental liberties and rights involved that, uh, and, and basic protections for people, that I'm okay with the court acting. And certainly reasonable people can disagree on that, and you and I are, if nothing else, reasonable people. We're very,
1: we, We're very reasonable. And and again, what what this comes down to is there was this uh, 5-4 decision in 2012 uh, of is uh, life in prison for a juvenile uh, cruel and unusual punishment in violation of the Eighth Amendment. Uh, Five justices said it was. Four said it didn't.
0: And Um, we know how that broke down. The second time
1: around. Yeah. Yeah. And you can guess who those were. The evil conservatives Um, said lock them up and throw um, away
0: the key. Uh Uh-huh.
1: Yeah. 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 Well, no. And and, and again, it's it's one of these uh, – you know, it and and this is it, there was another Supreme Court decision about death penalty earlier this year, uh, or or last year that we talked about where mm-hmm. Scalia went after Kennedy pretty hard for, uh, uh, employer and it wasn't Kennedy. I'm sorry, it was other dissenters. It was uh, uh, the other the four because Kennedy was with us on this time, um, but the idea that the death penalty itself was unconstitutional, and Scalia right. says, well, it's mentioned in the Constitution. Right, um,
0: and then then and the I other side that, gets that, into that, evolving gets standards back. of it, decency. It, it, yeah,
1: yeah, it it may be it may be bad policy, it may be a bad decision, it, uh, uh, but it's not necessarily unconstitutional. And really, one of our our mantras that we we try to preach on on the show and uh, throughout life, I guess, is that. Look, just because you don't like something doesn't mean it's not constitutional. Absolutely. And just because something's constitutional doesn't mean that it's a good idea. Yeah, so.
0: definitely, definitely. So, what about the uh, what about President Obama's executive order? Uh, do you think that was that something that you can get behind? Yeah. No. And,
1: and this is going to be weird. And, and but I'm going to say yeah. And actually, I would even say, and that's that's an issue where uh, that is a proper use of an executive order. I, I, would, um, I would certainly agree. I, you know, it, it's, it sounds weird. And, and, and again, maybe maybe I'm uh, maybe I'm a total loser, as Trump would say, and, and being soft on, on uh, criminals. Um, but America needs to take a look at what we're doing in our justice system. Uh, and, and is it really justice? Um, I, I've been a big fan and I've, I've posted some a link on the, the website not too long ago to a, a man named Brian Garner. But not Brian Garner uh, Brian Stevenson I like Brian Garner too um, but Brian Stevenson is has been a, a, a really uh, uh, sort of new and electric voice on on these issues criminal justice uh, civil rights issues um, and, and it just looks at you know one is is what we're doing uh, humane uh, and let's let's set aside constitutionality non constitutionality is this is this a humane policy that, that we should endorse and second, Does it really work? Um, So those are, you know, that's, that's sort of where I am. I I think what we're ending up with is, is no, it's not humane. And and I I don't think what we're doing works, or at least not all that well. Um, Yeah, you know,
0: I was saying that it's interesting the context in which this is playing out because right now there's legislation pending in Congress to actually uh, make some of this stuff that's being done by executive order essentially to make it the law of the land. And surprisingly, it has some bipartisan support, even uh, among the leadership. Uh, for instance, uh, Senator, Senator uh Cornyn, the, who's the number two Republican in the Senate, is really pushing for a major criminal justice overhaul. And this is something that's had support of a lot of conservative groups. The, the Koch brothers are big supporters of this sort of thing, and a lot of Democrats are big supporters. And, you know, there, there are some Republicans who are mainly Republicans who are concerned that if we ease up on sentences, then what's going to happen is there's going to be a story. Someone gets out and they commit a crime, and, and that's, that's certainly going to happen. I mean, you you can't imagine that's not going to happen. But I still think overall, the making making the, the process more humane is outweighs the, you know, occasionally there's, there's going to be a crime. And, you know, that's that's certainly a negative thing. But I think the positives definitely out the way outweigh the negatives in what I think is a horribly dysfunctional criminal justice system.
1: Right. And, and I think so much of our, our criminal justice system comes from. Uh, we had we had some things going on in the early '90s. Uh, there was the the crack cocaine epidemic, um, uh, with with uh, substantial amounts of, of gang violence uh, that caused a real real big pushback uh, and increase on sentences, particularly drug sentencing. Um, uh, secondly, there was the uh, uh, terrorist attack uh, in uh, Oklahoma City, uh, where. Uh, Again, it was a, a big push then to enhance the death penalty, uh, right. stricter sanctions and on parolees and, 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 and uh, increased sentences. And uh, so, and, and it, again, it came from both sides. Uh, the drug, the anti-drug stuff was, again, something that was pushed mostly by Republicans, but the Democrats went along with it. And uh, likewise, the post-Oklahoma City Effective Death Penalty Act uh, had bipartisan support with with some uh, grumbling from uh, uh, the civil liberty uh folks on the right and uh, the nra uh in particular if you want to count them in there um but uh but no i mean it i it, i hate to sound like a, a rhino in this saying i agree with obama
0: um i'm just gonna run so, that so to on of the loop most important while, thing
1: look yeah. is is uh, is what we're doing is is it actually going to make sense and is it actually going yeah. to work and I've, I've contended before and i think the statistics show this uh so right. much of when we talk about rises and and uh, decreases in crime one of the biggest predictors is is demographics uh and and that's something that's that's tough to deal with and yep. you know when
0: well, I think you know socioeconomic stuff is, is is hugely important here. You know when you're yeah, yeah when you're poor and you can't find a job and so forth. But you know I, I, you know one thing. I, I'm gonna you came out sort of in support of President Obama. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to flip things up on my side and say that you know a lot of the a lot of debate on this focuses oftentimes on uh, how horrible mandatory minimums are. Uh, I, I, there right. There are a lot and now, but my understanding, at least in part is the reason why mandatory minimum sentence really harsh mandatory minimum sentences can be useful is that they force people to plead guilty to a lesser offense and that's so that can be a really valuable tool and if you take away those mandatory minimums all of a sudden you have a lot more you have a lot more trials a lot more uncertainty and you might actually be i I don't know if it's good or bad i'm just saying there could be some unintended consequences here of eliminating a lot of mandatory minimums at least that's the that's the argument as i understand it coming from some conservatives um i
1: think it's uh, yeah i'd say it's an okay argument um Mm -hmm. I mean, to me, the, the mandatory minimums were uh, you would have situations where you'd have judges who would uh, impose sentences that seemed very much um, out of line with the crime that was committed. Uh, you know, for example, and this is a state court example, not federal, but, <clears throat> you know, the, the uh, affluenza teen
0: right.
1: uh, who's recently, you know, gotten in trouble in Mexico, uh, in that case, was, the judge uh, imposed just sort of probation for, for what was a, a homicide um, and, and there was outrage and, yeah. and justifiably so
0: don't do that again. Uh, yeah. You know, so, yeah.
1: Um, so, so that, and that's, that's what bred a lot of these, uh, mandatory minimums, uh, that, that were passed yeah. in, uh, the early nineties. And I want to say it was 93 when most of this stuff was passed. Um, well, the changes in the, uh, the, the federal uh, yeah. judicial code, um, uh, judges have long decried this, uh, you know, often in, in in written opinions even, and and it's kind of funny. You, you we talked a couple weeks ago. We might mention again today the uh, the standoff at the federal wildlife ref, refuge. Mm-hmm. Um, what that case really comes down to is is mandatory minimums. It was a matter of the appellate court judge said, well, I right. I agree with you. If it was up to me, I might have not sentenced these guys as harshly, but. Uh, you know, mandatory means mandatory. And and, uh, that's what I have to apply. Um, So I I, I guess I guess the best we can hope for is, is if there's a reduction in this, that there's there's some pressure and on the state level, there's always pressure because not always because but most state judges are elected um, uh, to still be uh, sort of top on crime, uh, less so at the federal level. Um, But yeah, I think, I think we could have a really interesting you know, panel discussion sometime on criminal justice reform and mandatory minimums and stuff. I think that would be fun.
0: Yeah, so. definitely, definitely. Well, you know, I just uh, looking, at, looking at the clock here, we're, we're pretty much uh, uh, out of time. But before we go, I did want to mention one story that caught my eye this week. Uh, in a, uh, uh, recently, in an interview with the BBC, the U.S. Treasury Department's sanctions czar – I don't know if you knew that the U.S. Treasury Department had a sanctions czar – Right. But anyway.
1: Well, again, I, I'm I'm always a little troubled that we have so many czars. The czar, come, yeah, but, yeah, I don't know if
0: that's actually the title exactly. It but seems, uh, It
1: seems rather un-American. It probably
0: but, is like uh, assistant undersecretary for sanctions or something, but czar just sounds yes. a lot better. And certainly if I were getting the nameplate on my door, it would say sanctions czar, not assistant <laughs> undersecretary for, you know. But anyway, the point being, this guy in an interview with BBC admitted for the first time any U.S. official officially said that – Yes, we do believe that Vladimir Putin is in fact corrupt. Yeah. Stunning realization. Who you know, amazingly. Um interestingly, at least to me, interestingly, because Putin is a fascinating character as far as I'm concerned. He's like a James Bond villain come to life. Mm-hmm. It'd be funny if he weren't just so horrifically bad for the for, for the people of Russia and the world, but uh technically his salary is $110,000 a year, which is much less than our president's, $400,000 a year. But back in 2007, the CIA tried to figure out how much Vladimir Putin was worth, $40 billion. Well, he's he's a, a big a big saver and a Putin investor. Know, a coupon he's, clip you know, or something. Sort of- that was 2007. More recent estimates suggested he might be worth up to, and I'm not even making this up, up to $200 billion, which would... Make him far and away the richest person in the world. So, um, you know, clearly government pays in Russia. Uh, government is a horrible, uh, whor- uh, Government is horrible. My God, what am I saying? Russia. There you go. You know, th- yeah. the truth comes out. You say it's a Freudian a good slip, right? Point.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> but you know, also kind of related to this, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Putin. Gave an interview and he decried how horrible elections in the US were. Maybe the fact that they actually had them and they were competitive, <laughs> I don't know. But he pointed out, though, something kind of interesting. He said, you know, it costs so much money to run for president, around a billion dollars or so. And and I, I crunched some numbers. Uh, if you just kept that money, you know, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But in twenty twelve, uh, president uh, President Obama won, obviously, and he spent not quite a billion dollars, and uh, that that came out to around fourteen dollars and ninety-five cents a vote. So okay. fourteen ninety five vote. Now Putin won in two thousand and twelve too. He spent only 30 cents a vote. Wow. You know, so clearly he's a, you know, he's a. Although,
1: although, I mean, I guess, do you, do you count the, the secret police and, and the military folks and the. That kind of off-budget uh, are those spending. Kind of his campaign expenses?
0: Well, it's nice <laughs> it's when you can get people to vote the, twice the guys and three are times. Going to so is that yeah?
1: If you don't vote the right way, Yeah, So
0: he's got he's he definitely has it wired. Um, certainly, um, and while Hillary Clinton maybe has made a lot of money out of government, and, and Barack Obama, Obama, will, I'm sure too, uh, once he's done being president, I think Vladimir Putin definitely uh, wins the wins the crown there. So. Uh, a thoroughly, like I said, it's, it's weird. I am torn. He's a, he's totally entertaining on one level, but he's just, just such an awful reprehensible human being, kind of in a long line of awful reprehensible human beings who have run things in the former Soviet Mm -hmm. Union. So really kind of a sad thing in a way, but anyway, on that note, uh, say that's really all the time we have this week. Uh, Thanks very, thanks everyone very much for listening. If you have any thoughts, comments, or criticisms, or any questions for our Ask the Politics Guys podcast, and that comes out every Wednesday, we'd love to hear from you. Our email is politicsguys at gmail.com. That's politicsguys, one word, at gmail.com. Our Facebook page, where Jay and I post and comment on news articles throughout the week, and where you can comment, too, is facebook.com slash page. Check it out, and uh, if you like it, give us a, a like. And if you're listening to us on iTunes or Stitcher, we would really appreciate it if you could take just a minute and rate the show and write a quick review. The Politics Guys will be back next Sunday. We hope you'll join us.